Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Chapter 1 of Veronica by Johanna Spirey. Translated by Louise Brooks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 1 A Visit to the Doctor. It was early in the month of March. The dark blue vault of heaven lay over mountain and valley, swept free from clouds by the keen northern blast as it blew across the hills, swaying the big trees hither and thither as if they were bulrushes, and now and then tearing off huge branches which fell crashing to the ground. Other and sadder victims were sacrificed to this fierce north wind. Human beings, as well as inanimate objects, fell before him. He struck down with his mighty arm not only the old and feeble, but the young and strong. Just as he swept away the clouds, hurrying them across the skies, beyond the horizon line, away out of sight. Sometimes in one day a cruel malady would seize one occupant out of each one of the three or four little villages clustered on the hillside, a sharp pain attacked the lungs, and after a brief illness, the resistless disease bore away the sufferer to the silent grave. At the very moment of which we write, a group of black-clad mourners were standing near one of the pleasantest houses in the isolated village of Tenenegg, waiting for the sound of the church bell, as the signal to lift the covered bier on which was stretched the body of a young woman, the last victim to the north wind's cruel stroke and to bear her to her final resting-place. In the quiet room within, two children were seated on a bench, which ran along the wall. They formed a striking contrast to each other. The girl, a little black-clad frowning thing, dressed in some mourning stuff, followed with fierce looks the rapid movements of a woman who, standing before an open cupboard, was moving its contents over and about as if in search of something that did not come to hand. The boy was also watching her but his dancing blue eyes had in them a merry look of pleased expectation. "'I want to go out, Cousin Judith,' said the girl, and her tones were half angry, half anxious. "'Where can my mother be?' "'Be still, be still,' said the woman, still tumbling the contents of the cupboard about nervously. "'I shall find something pretty for you presently. Then you must sit down quietly and play with it, and not go outside. Not one step, do you hear? Pshaw!' there is nothing but rubbish here well then give us the rose said the little girl still scowling the woman looked about the room there are no roses here she said how should there be in march she added half vexed at having looked for them there said the child pointing towards a book that the woman had but a moment before replaced in the cupboard ah now i know what you mean so your mother always kept the rose the fortune rose I often envied her when she used it to show it to us in her hymn-book. And as she spoke, she turned the leaves of the old hymnal until she found the rose and handed it to the child. "'Take it,' she said. "'Be quiet and do not get up from your seats till I come back.' And she hurried from the room. 
the little girl took the prettily painted rose in her hand it was an old acquaintance her favorite sunday plaything when her mother wanted to secure a quiet hour for herself on sundays she used to give her fortune rose to her little veronica and it was sure to occupy the child for a long time in perfect contentment look this is the way you must do said the child as she pulled with her fingers a small strip of paper that stood out from the side of the picture suddenly before the astonished eyes of the boy the redful calyx of the rose flew open disclosing a glittering golden verse that lay in the centre of the flower then veronica pushed the paper strip back and the rose folded its leaves and was a perfect flower again quite dazzled by this wonderful magic the little boy stared with amazement at the rose and then seized it to try for himself when the children were playing veronica's mother was being laid in her grave after a while cousin judith came back into the room she was cousin to all tan and egg though related to no one she came back to take the rose and put it into the hook which she replaced in the cupboard sit still a while longer children she said and presently your mother will come for you be good and do not trouble her for she has enough to bear already it was the little boy's mother she meant and the children knew it they knew also very well that they must be good and not trouble her for they had seen her for two days going about the house with eyes red with weeping presently she entered the room and took the children one by each hand and went to the door with them she seemed to be struggling with sad and heavy thoughts she usually spoke cheerily to the children but now she was silent and every now and then she furtively wiped away a tear where are we going mother asked the boy we must go to the doctor's dietrich she answered your father is very ill and she led them along the footpath toward the little town where the white houses shone in the sunlight forensi was a new place that had sprung up as if in one night from the soil and now stood there a great white spot against the dark hillside not long before it had been only a little cluster of houses standing in a protected spot on the side of the hill not very far below tananeg it was so situated that the biting north wind which blew so sharp over the exposed houses of tananeg did not reach the nook where the little forherency lay bathed in the full light of the sun but the little place was high enough to be visited by all the cooling breezes and was healthy pure and fresh to a remarkable degree when not long before this time an enterprising innkeeper discovered its health-giving qualities and built an inn there guests filled it so rapidly that he soon put up another soon one after another little inns sprang up as from the ground and then a crowd of tradespeople came up from the valley and settled around for the number of guests constantly increased and the strangers found the spot so favorable to health that it became a favorite winter resort and thus the obscure little forency became in a few years a large and flourishing town stretching out in every direction gertrude however walking sturdily along with the children was not going as far as forency with its shining white houses she turned off into a footpath that led to several scattered dwellings up on the hillside and soon reached an open space on which stood a handsome house with large stables nearby out from the stable a hostler had just led a spirited horse which he began to harness into a light wagon instantly the little boy freed his hand from his mother's planted himself before the horse and could not be induced to move stay there if you want to said his mother 
we will go on to the house but you must take care not to go too near the horse the doctor was just hurrying out from his office he must have had a long distance to go for he was starting off before the usual time for office hours was over gertrude apologized and begged the doctor to excuse her for not having come earlier to see him she had been very busy with her invalid and could not get away before never mind as you have come i will wait a few minutes said the physician briefly come in how is your husband gertrude went into the room and told the doctor about her sick husband it was stephen a strong young man on whom the mountain sickness had seized with unusual violence the doctor silently shook his head he took a small mortar that stood on the office table and shook into it some stuff which he ground with the marble pestle his eyes fell on the child who stood by gertrude's side gazing earnestly at the doctor's occupation the little creature had something unusual about her and attracted attention at once under her thick black hair and heavy brows her big eyes looked forth with a solemn gaze as if everything she saw gave her food for thought he had no one but himself to blame for it i fancy said the doctor as he filled some small square papers with his powders no no he was not the least of a brawler he was a quiet industrious fellow they had rented some of our rooms and lived there peaceably and happily for three whole years and never was an unkind word exchanged between them but he was a stranger in these parts he was never called anything but the burgomaster and the other fellows could never forgive him for having won the prettiest and most courted girl in the whole village they never ceased to tease and irritate him and on this especial evening at the raybach they must have been unusually offensive apparently they were all somewhat excited for they could afterwards give no clear account of the affair but the end was that the burgomaster came home fatally wounded and died the next day everything has been different among us since the raybach was built our village used to be quiet and orderly everyone was contented to work all the week and rest on sunday nobody ever heard of such a thing as noisy drinking and rowdyism but i have another errand with you now doctor linnae charged me on her deathbed to attend to it she did not leave any money but she had an excellent outfit she bade me sell her bedstead and her bureau and bring you the proceeds to settle what she owed you she was very anxious that i should see to it for she felt that you had done a great deal for her and she spoke of how often you had climbed the hill both by day and night to visit her so please give me the bill doctor so that i may settle it at once as i promised her what relatives has the child asked the doctor shortly she has none at all in these parts replied gertrude she has been with me all through her mother's illness and now she is mine her mother's family are all gone she might perhaps be sent to her father's parish in bergameskish but i shall not do that she belongs to us now i would not go in there said the child firmly in a low tone clinging to gertrude's dress with both hands the doctor opened a big book tore out a leaf and drew his pen twice across the closely written page there he said handing the cancelled sheet to gertrude that is all the bill i shall give you oh doctor may god reward you said gertrude go child and thank the doctor for you owe him a great deal the child obeyed after her own fashion she planted herself before the big man looked steadily at him with her great black eyes and said somewhat hoarsely thank you it sounded more like a command than anything else the doctor laughed she is rather alarming he said she is evidently not accustomed to say anything she does not really mean i like that but come i must be off 
and handing the medicine to Gertrude he left the room quickly so as to avoid her repeated thanks. The little boy was standing where his mother had left him, still staring at the restless horse. The doctor looked kindly at the little fellow. "'Would you like to take care of a horse?' he asked, as he got into his wagon. "'No, I should like to drive one of my own,' replied the child, without hesitation. "'Well, you are quite right there. Stick to that, my boy,' said the doctor, and drove away. As Gertrude, holding a child by each hand, climbed the hillside, the boy said gaily, "'Say, mother, I can have one, can't I?' "'Do you mean to be a gentleman like the doctor and own a horse, Dietrich?' asked the mother. The boy nodded. "'So you can, if you will work hard for it, and stick to your work well. You see, the doctor had to do that for a long time, and has to do it still. And if you stick to your work as he has, and never stop nor get tired till it is done, and well done, then you will be a gentleman, even if you are not a doctor. It doesn't matter what you do. You may be a gentleman if you persevere and work hard and faithfully. Yes, with a horse, said Dietrich. The little girl had been listening intently to every word of this conversation. Her black eyes blazed out suddenly as she looked up to Gertrude and said decidedly, I'll be one too. Yes, yes, Mr. Veronica, Mr. Veronica, that sounds well, cried Dietrich, and he laughed aloud at the idea. Veronica thought it no laughing matter, however. She pressed Gertrude's hand firmly and looked up with glowing eyes as she said, I can be one too, can't I, mother, say? You should not laugh, Dietrich, said his mother kindly. Veronica can be exactly what you can be. If she works steadily and does not grow tired and careless, but keeps on till her work is finished and well finished, she will be a lady as you will be a gentleman. Veronica trotted along contentedly after this explanation. She did not speak again. The frowning brows were smoothed, and the fiery eyes now shone with the light of childish joy as she caught sight of the first flowers that began to peep above the ground. The child's face looked fairly charming now. Her well-formed features, framed by the dark locks, made a beautiful picture. Dietrich was also silent, but he was pursuing the same train of thought, for he broke out presently. "'Will she have a horse, too?' "'Why not, as well as you?' it all depends on how steadily and how faithfully you both work replied gertrude well then we shall have two horses cried the boy joyfully where shall we put the stable mother we can see to that by and by there is plenty of time for that it won't do for you to be thinking about the horse all the time you know you must keep your mind on your work if you mean to do it well dieterly said no more he was busy trying to decide on which side of the house it would be best to put the stable that night gertrude again hurried down the hill to the doctor's houses and this time she brought him back with her her husband's illness had taken a turn for the worse and the next day he died end of chapter one chapter two of veronica by johanna spirey translated by louise brooks this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 With Fresh Courage A few days later, a numerous company of mourners followed another black bier to the sunny churchyard. Stephen, the saddler, had been universally respected. He had begun life modestly. There had been no large industries in Tananeg. In his early days, he married the quiet and orderly Gertrude, who worked with him at his trade and help support the frugal household. Soon the flood of prosperity invaded Florency. 
and naturally the only saddler in the vicinity had his hands full of work. Now Gertrude's help was needed in earnest, and she did not fail. They were soon in possession of a nice little house of their own, with a garden about it, and no matter how much work she might have to do in the shop, everything in her own province of housekeeping was as well and carefully ordered as if Gertrude had no other business to occupy her time and thoughts. And Stephen, Gertrude, and their little Dieterli lived simple, useful, and contented lives, and were a good example to all the neighborhood. Now, today, Gertrude stood weeping by the window and looked across to the churchyard, where that very morning they had laid her good man. Now she must make her way alone. She had no one to help her, no one belonging to her except her two children, and for them she must work, for she had never admitted for a moment that the orphan Veronica was not hers to care for as well as her own little Dietrich. She did not lose courage. As soon as the first benumbing effect of her sorrow had passed a little, she gazed up at the shining heavens, and said to herself, He who has sent this trouble will send me strength to bear it. And in full trust in this strength she went to work, and seemed able to do more than ever. Her property, outside of the little capital which her husband had laid by, consisted of her house, which was free from debt, and of which she could let a good part. The question was whether she could carry on the remunerative business that her husband had been engaged in until little Dietrich should be old enough to assume the direction of it and pursue it as his father had done before him. Gertrude retained the services of a workman who had been employed by Stephen, and she herself did not relax her labors early and late to oversee the work and keep all in running order. For the first few weeks after her mother's death, little Veronica sat every evening weeping silently by herself in a dark corner of the room. When Gertrude found her thus grieving, she asked kindly what ailed her, and again and again she received only this sorrowful answer, "'I want my mother.' Gertrude drew the child tenderly towards her, caressing her and promising her that they would all go together some day to join her mother, who had only gone on before that she might get strong and well again. And gradually this second mother grew to take the place of her own, and no game, no amusement could draw the loving child away from Gertrude's side. Only Dietrich could succeed in enticing her to go with him now and then. The lad's love for his mother showed itself in a louder and more demonstrative manner. He often threw his arms about her neck, crying passionately, "'My mother belongs to me and to nobody else!' Then Veronica's brows would knit over her flashing eyes, until they formed a long straight line across her face. But she did not speak, and Gertrude would put one arm about the boy's neck, and the other about the little girl's, and say, "'You must not speak so, Dietrich. I belong to you both, and you both belong to me.' In general, the two children were excellent friends, and completely inseparable. They were not happy unless they shared everything together, and wherever one went, the other must go too. They went on regularly to school every morning, and were always joined by two of the neighbor's children who went with them. These were the son of the shoemaker, long bony Jost, with his little cunning eyes, and the sexton's boy, who was as broad as he was long, and from whose round face two pale eyes peered forth upon the world, in innocently stupid surprise. His name was Blasius, nicknamed Blasi. Often on the way to school quarrels arose between Dieterli and the two other boys. It would occur to one of them to try what Veronica would do if he were to give her a blow with his fist, 
scarcely had he opened his attack when he found himself lying on his nose while daterly played a vigorous tattoo on his back with no gentle fists or the sport would be to plant a good hard snowball between veronica's shoulders with the mortifying result to the aggressive boy of being pelted in the face with handsful of wet snow until he was almost stifled and cried out for mercy daterly was not afraid of either of them for though smaller and thinner than either he was also much more lithe and could glide about like a lizard before behind and all around his adversaries and slipped through their fingers while they were trying to catch him veronica was well avenged and went on the rest of her way without fear of molestation if one of the other lads felt in a friendly mood and wished to act as escort to the little girl daterly soon gave him to understand that that was his own place and he would give it up to no one every evening cousin judith came for a little visit to give gertrude some friendly advice about the children or the household economy she used to say that the gentle widow needed some one now and then to show claws in her behalf and judith knew herself to be in full possession of claws and of the power to use them an accomplishment of which she was somewhat proud one evening she crossed over between daylight and dark and entered the room where veronica was with her favorite plaything in her hand moving it back and forth as she sat in the window in the waning light she could read very nicely now for two years had passed since she had lost her own mother and had become gertrude's child many a time had she read over the motto which shone out so mysteriously from the breast of the opened rose to-day she was poring over it again and her absorption in that same old rose as Dieterle called it had so annoyed the lively lad that he left her and had gone out into the kitchen to find his mother when judith saw the little girl sitting thus alone buried in thought she asked her what she was thinking about in the twilight all by herself Dieterle, whom no sound ever escaped had heard cousin judith come in and came running in from the kitchen to see what was going on veronica looked up at the visitor and asked earnestly cousin judith what is fortune ah you are always asking some strange question that no one else ever thought of asking said cousin judith where on earth did you ever hear of fortune here said veronica holding up the rose with the golden verse in the centre shall i read it to you yes do child veronica read fortune stands ready full in sight he wins who knows to grasp it right well it means this i should say fortune is whatever any one wants the most fortune is a horse then said dietrich quickly veronica sat thinking but cousin judith she said presently how can any one grasp fortune with your hands replied cousin judith unhesitatingly you see our hands are given us to work with and if we use them diligently and do our work well as it ought to be done then fortune comes to us so don't you see we grasp it with our hands the verse had now become endued with life and meant something real and attractive to veronica she did not lay her rose out of her hand for a long time that evening notwithstanding that dietrich cast threatening glances upon it and finally broke out in vexation I will tear off the spring sometime and spoil the thing altogether. The rose was not put into the book and the book into the cupboard until the time came for the children to say their evening prayers. This was the closing act of every day, 
and it was so fixed and regular a habit that the children never needed to be bidden to fold their hands and kneel to ask god's blessing before they slept end of chapter two chapter three of veronica by johanna spirey translated by louise brooks this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter three nine years later a sunshiny easter morning shone over hill and valley a crowd of holiday-making people poured out of the little church of tanneneg and scattered in every direction a long row of blooming lads and lassies came in close ranks moving slowly towards the parsonage they were the newly confirmed young people of the parish who had that day partaken of the communion for the first time they were going to the house of their pastor to express their gratitude for his careful and tender teaching and guidance before they went out into the world among these were dietrich and veronica gertrude stood at a little distance from the church and watched the procession as it passed by her eyes were filled with tears of pleasurable emotion as she noticed that her dark-eyed veronica was conspicuous among all the maidens for the tasteful neatness of her costume and for the sweetness and grace of her bearing the glance which veronica cast upon the mother in passing was full of love and gratitude and seemed to repeat the words that the faithful girl had spoken in the morning as she left her to go to the church i cannot thank you enough as long as i live for what you have done for me mother a yet brighter expression of happiness crossed gertrude's countenance when the young men came in procession after the girls as her eyes fell on the well-formed lad a head taller than his companions who nodded at her and greeted her with merry laughing looks kissing his hand again and again and yet once again that was her tall handsome dietrich his mother's heart leaped in her breast at the sight of his fresh young life so full of hope and promise gertrude waited till the visit to the pastor was over and the young people had separated on their various paths then she in her turn entered the parsonage she wished herself to speak her thanks to this true and long-tried adviser and friend for all that he had done for her children you are a fortunate mother said the aged pastor after he had listened to gertrude's expressions of gratitude those are two uncommon children that the good god has confided to your care and i feel the greatest interest in them the lad has a clear head and a winning grace that draws every one to him veronica is serious and conscientious she has a calm steady nature and can be depended upon for fidelity to duty such as it is rare to find the children will be your stay and comfort in your old age may you keep them in the paths of virtue with god's help said gertrude and she left the parsonage with tears of happiness in her eyes as she passed the garden of her neighbor judith the latter called out over the low hedge they have just gone by all four of them it always seems to me strange that why all babies in the cradle look just alike so that you can't tell them apart they grow up to be such very different men and women no no these four were never alike replied gertrude but i agree that they grow more and more unlike every day yes that they do and of you three near neighbors you certainly have drawn the best lot in children said judith with enthusiasm two like your two 
are not to be found in a long day's journey veronica will fully repay you for what you have done for her i have been repaid long ago by the child's attachment to me she has never given me anything but satisfaction ever since her mother died if i have any anxiety about veronica it is lest she overwork herself there is something feverish in her love of work she can never do enough no matter how late i go into her room at night she is always finishing off some piece of work and no matter how early i get up in the morning she has already begun something new if i had not positively forbidden it she would keep at it even on a sunday it is a real source of anxiety to me lest she should overwork and break down oh i don't think you need be afraid of that gertrude work never yet hurt any one least of all the young folks let her work away but i don't see the need of her scowling so all the time she looks for all the world as if she were fighting and struggling against enemies and difficulties of all sorts i like better dietrich's laughing eyes they are so full of fun when he goes down the street singing gladly and merrily live to-day cheerily black care and sorrow leave till to-morrow it goes right to my heart and i could sing too for very joy no one can help loving him gertrude listened with sunshine in her face to these words of praise but a little cloud of anxiety shadowed her eyes as she said yes god be praised he is a good boy and means well but i do wish that he had a little of veronica's firmness of purpose it is very pleasant to have every one like him but too great popularity is not always a good thing and those two companions that are always hanging about him are not such as i myself would choose for his friends if they could all be put to some steady work it would be the best thing for them said judith idleness is the mother of mischief Blassie is not an ill-meaning fellow but he is lazy greatly to his own injury long jost is the worst of the two a sly boots and a rare one too it is to be hoped that he will break his own leg when he's trying to trip some one else up with it no no judith on this holy easter day we will not have such unkind hopes as that i hope and believe that the good god holds the children in his protecting hand we have given them to him that is my comfort and support good-bye good-bye judith come often to see us we are always glad of your company on the evening of this sunny easter day while rosy clouds moved slowly across the clear sky the golden glow faded in the far west behind the wooded heights gertrude came back from a long walk in the fields and woods on one side of her strode dietrich talking rapidly and earnestly the fresh joy of youth was written in every movement of his little figure and laughed from the depths of his clear eyes on the other side veronica walked listening in silence her noble features above which her black hair fell in shining waves had a serious thoughtful expression but every now and then when dietrich let fall some particularly apt expression a look would cross her face that irradiated it like a sunbeam crossing a shadowed plain mother gertrude looked now proudly at her radiant son now approvingly at her stately daughter and again she lifted grateful glances toward the glowing heavens where she saw promise of another brilliant day to come far and wide in all tannenegg was not to be found that day such another happy mother as gertrude when they reached the crossways where the footpath led up by the tavern of the Reebok, dietrich turned into it and his mother was about to follow him but veronica drew her back saying anxiously don't go that way mother dear it is not much farther by the other road 
dietrich laughed aloud now there it is again do you know mother that i can never get veronica to go past the raybach she would rather go ten minutes farther round and she will not say why either to-day veronica i am determined that you shall go this way or tell us why not no to-day we will not quarrel dietrich please said the girl entreatingly but with a tone that showed no signs of yielding her point let us sing a song as we go mother loves to hear us sing as she spoke she walked steadily along the road and the others followed well then said the lad let's sing gladly and merrily and he began to sing the familiar tune to-night i should rather sing the fisher-boat said veronica and without demur the good-natured boy dropped his song and joined his clear tones with veronica's steady voice the two harmonizing perfectly as they sang a tiny boat a fisher-boat tossed lightly on the silver sea around the rocks in air afloat the white gulls circle lazily a tiny boat a fisher-boat the fisher draws his slender line he half in dreamland seems to float saying to-morrow will be fine softly singing in the soft falling shadows of evening the happy trio drew towards their home and disappeared within the cottage door end of chapter three chapter four of veronica by johannes byrie this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter four all at home dietrich had already worked for some time in his father's business it was all in the best possible condition the workshop the tools and materials had been carefully kept up and everything was fresh and in good working order the old customers had not withdrawn their custom for the former workman who had served under Stephen for many years had continued his deceased master's methods so that the reputation of the work was sustained and as forenzi grew so also the saddler's orders grew and the business flourished so dietrich found his trade ready-made to his hand and as good a prospect lay before him as heart could wish he took hold with a good will and being his own master did not make him the less diligent he was determined first to work faithfully till he had thoroughly learned the business and then to travel for a while when he had seen the world a bit he would come back go on with the business farther and farther and become a gentleman and then then where could a happier man be found than he should be living with his mother and veronica in peace and plenty his mother should pass her days in happy idleness if she wished without care without sorrow in wealth and comfort and veronica yes he would give veronica a life far happier and more beautiful than she had ever dreamed of for herself while his brain teemed with these pleasant thoughts dietrich sang and whistled at his work all day long and did good work too he had a skilful hand and a clear head and his work went successfully on veronica had persuaded her mother to let her stay longer in the industrial school than was usual with the young girls of the neighborhood even up to the day of her confirmation she had taken sewing lessons twice from a most accomplished teacher a short time before easter the teacher had assured gertrude that veronica had made such extraordinary progress that she was already prepared to teach and that she had completed the course taught at that school and could learn no more there veronica certainly deserved farther training and the teacher suggested that it would be well worth while for her to take lessons in embroidery of lame sabina in forensi she would then be sure of a position as a teacher as high as her utmost ambition could desire 
it had always been gertrude's plan to have veronica learn to work at the saddler's business as there is a good deal of the fine work which is suitable for women and which it needs a woman's hand to carry out she hoped that in this way her children could always remain together and with her the fine embroidery for which lame sabina was noted it did not seem to her at all necessary for veronica to learn but she was willing to leave the decision to her as soon as veronica heard of this new work to be learned she was eager to begin upon it and she left her mother no peace until she extracted from her the promise that directly after the confirmation this new undertaking should be entered upon a few days after easter sunday veronica went to take her first lesson it was very early in the morning when she started to go down to Forenzi, so early that people were just beginning to open their windows and only here and there a sleepy face was to be seen at the door of a house she had to go early in order to get in a good day's work for she was to come home at night and it was an hour's walk each way she knew well the old cottage with the beautiful carnations illuminating its windows which was the home of lame sabina the windows were already open and the door also she entered and her new life began up in tannenegg dietrich sat at his work singing and whistling merrily his mother busy with her household affairs went hither and thither about the house from sitting-room to kitchen and then with the feeding bucket out on the grass plat before the house where a flock of handsome fowl were pecking about all was still quiet in the neighboring houses but over by the well stood the never idle judith beating and turning her clothes as she washed them along the road with uncertain steps came the old sexton swinging the big church keys in his hand he had been ringing the early morning peal as he lifted his cap a little to salute judith as well she called out good day neighbor i was just thinking it would be a good exchange if the old folks were to lie abed at this hour and let the young ones pull the bell rope well some one must be doing it said the other and passed on his way judith had been busy at her washing full two hours longer when in the doorway of the sexton's house appeared a young fellow whose figure almost as broad as it was long filled the opening with scarce anything to spare he tried to yawn but there was not room enough to stretch his arms so he stepped outside for the purpose and there he gaped so heartily that all the inside of his big mouth and throat was distinctly visible there's nothing in it blassie i've had a good look at it cried judith if you had been here two hours ago you might have seen a sight a girl with a whole mouthful of gold what do you say to that Blasi caught at this, and brought his jaws together with a snap. "'What? Full of gold?' he exclaimed, and opened his sleepy eyes to their utmost extent. "'Why doesn't the foolish thing carry it in her pocket? Where does she come from?' "'That is no concern of yours. You will never come up with her,' replied Judith. "'Tell me, for all that,' urged Blasi, coming toward Judith. "'I can go after her, and I've no doubt I shall come up with her, and then there's no telling what may happen. Come!' Where did she go now? Do you know her name? Her name is Early Morn, Blassie, said Judith pleasantly. Did you never hear the saying, There's gold in the mouth of the early morn? Blassie made a wry face and began in an angry tone. There's nothing very clever in that. But just then he remembered that when he came out of the house, he had intended to come over and say something quite different to Judith, so he changed his tone quickly and said, Can you lend me a franc or two? i have just time to do a little business before eleven o'clock and then i must be back to ring the noon bell i must try to help father a little no no blassie i have no francs for you said judith decidedly 
it wants three hours yet of being eleven o'clock use those big arms of yours and they'll bring you franks enough and so saying she lifted her clothes basket on her head and walked away blasi stood looking after her a moment then he sauntered off with both hands in his pockets up the road towards the shoemaker's old house there sat jost before the door hammering away at something as if for dear life blasi drew near and stood watching the busy hands of his friend who presently cried out angrily so it is holiday with you is it you lazy bones it is maddening to see one fellow go wandering about with his hands in his pockets while another has to sit on his three-legged stool hammering away at the soles of these 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 tanninger boots to-morrow is cherry festival in forensi and every one is going and i i must get their boots ready i wish a thunderstorm would come and wash this away and that and the whole lot of em as he spoke he tossed away first the mended boots then the hammer and last of all the three-legged stool away as far as he could throw them down into the meadow he was white with rage what stuff said blassie dryly you are paid for your cobbling you are better off than i am i haven't a rap and am in debt besides i was going to ask you if you could lend me a franc you have money i know oh yes you sleepy-head it's very likely i have money for you when i'm in such need of it myself go ask dietrich he has his pockets full and a big heap besides but don't be such a fool as to ask him for just one mean little franc ask him for five i'll use two or three of them tell him you'll pay him again next week blasi seemed rather undecided i should have gone to him long ago he said but his mother is always about and she looks at a fellow as a bird does when somebody is trying to rob her nest i'm afraid of her pooh it's all right enough to borrow a little money if you're going to pay it back again don't be a fool go along and jost enforced his advice with an emphatic shove that sent blasi rolling along much faster than he wished to go he grumbled a little at this unpleasant style of progression and muttered between his teeth he's no right to treat me so i'm as good as he is any day when he reached gertrude's garden he stood still and looked over the hedge dietrich's mother was there planting her vegetable bed he sauntered back and forth a while and when he saw her go to the other corner of the garden he thought he could now get without being seen into the room where he heard dietrich whistling at his work he went round the garden and was just going in at the back gate when he came plump against gertrude he went by quickly as if he had had no idea of going in and then hung about watching his chance but as time did not stand still while he waited it was by and by eleven o'clock and he had to go off to ring the noon bell in the afternoon neighbor judith was hoeing in her little garden blasi stood hesitating in his doorway and then came out and stood watching her at her work i am always surprised blasi said judith looking up from her work to see you in company with a fellow who steals your money from your pockets before you know it is there i would not have anything to do with such a one what who asked blasi fumbling in his empty pockets who picks my pockets who are you talking about i know i did have some i wish you would tell me the thief i'll tell no tales said judith working away bah tell me won't you a fellow can't defend himself unless he knows who is attacking him growled blasi you might say who you mean well i will go and take him by the ear his name is idleness as judith spoke she raised her head and looked blasi full in the face then she bent to her work again the lad was angry he had hoped that he was going to get something back of which he had been robbed and that judith would help him as she had been a witness of the theft 
what a fuss you make over a few minutes he said crossly i have to go at four o'clock to ring the bell i think i ought to take a little from the old man i should say you took more from him than he had it has just struck half-past two do you know how many minutes there are in an hour and a half there's no getting along with you said blassy turning away well you get along finely without me so go on and prosper said judith quickly as the lad disappeared blassy had by no means given up his project he did not see any one in gertrude's garden as he passed along he clambered up on the lattice by the hedge and peeped through the open window into the room dietrich's mother was seated near her son both were working steadily the young fellow was chattering and laughing gaily and his mother answered and laughed too but they did not stop working all the while blassy saw plainly that this was not the time to make his request he would wait until the mother had gone to the kitchen as she was sure to do by and by four o'clock came and the great business of his day was at hand it was time to ring the bell and he had to go at last when evening came blassy found his opportunity he stood watching outside the door when suddenly dietrich threw it open and started off with rapid strides wait wait a minute can't you what's your hurry dietrich turned about what do you want tell me quickly i'm going to meet veronica she can't come home alone through the woods after dusk well look here said blassy breathing hard with his haste and holding dietrich by the arm you see i'm in trouble for want of a few francs or so can't you lend them to me i'll give them back again very soon i haven't that much about me now stop a minute yes here are two francs and here's a half will that be enough and throwing the money to blassy the young man hastened away as evening drew on gertrude stood at the end of the garden and looked down the road she listened to every sound that came from below she was waiting for her children's voices for the sound of their footsteps her children who made her life her happiness her hope ah there they are that is dietrich's voice talking eagerly while veronica's bell-like laugh sounds clear through the still evening air with a heart filled to overflowing with happiness gertrude went forth to meet them as they sat together round the table in their usual cheerful mood the mother asked for an account of this veronica's first day among strangers and how she liked her new work very much indeed mother was the answer and the young girl's face beamed with a smile that swept away all trace of the clouds that sometimes marred its beauty i can't tell you how delightful it is to be able to earn so much but after all mother dear the best part is that i can come home to you at night that's what i think too said dietrich quickly and you had but to look in his eyes to see that he spoke the truth and i am as glad as either of you said gertrude smiling it has been a long day for me it seems a great while since you started off this morning veronica what when your only son was sitting by you all day long asked dietrich playfully oh you know what i mean i need you both to make me perfectly happy and cannot spare either of you and she looked from one to the other with caressing glances veronica told them all about the new teacher and the new work and it was late in the evening before the three separated for the night End of chapter 4chapter five of veronica by johannes byrie this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter five upon unsafe paths after this evening dietrich was scarcely ever able to go on his walk alone blasi had always some pretext for joining him 
and when jost found out that regularly every evening his friend took the same walk at the same hour he too discovered that he had a great deal to tell him and to consult him about the two accompanied him through the wood and when they emerged from it on the other side they usually saw a graceful figure coming along the white road that led up the hill from forensi then without a word on the subject as by tacit agreement they stopped shook hands and separated the other two turned back toward the village and dietrich went on they felt instinctively that this was the best thing to do dietrich certainly found out that his companions were not to veronica's mind when one evening the three being so engaged in talk that they had not noticed that they were later than usual veronica came into the wood before they left it and she recognized blasi and jost although they turned quickly back they can't have the best of consciences said veronica as dietrich joined her if they had only straightforward business on hand why did they take themselves off so hastily as soon as i came in sight can't you understand that we may have something to talk about that we do not wish you to hear asked dietrich the girl was silent a few moments and then she said rather seriously it would suit me far better if you were not so much in company with those two fellows blasi is absolutely idle and cannot be nice and jost is really bad for you you can see that in his face he never dares to look me full in the eye he always avoids a direct glance as if he feared that his eyes would betray him i believe he is thoroughly false no no you should not judge him so harshly said dietrich good-humouredly he is not what you think him he is a good friend to me and has already taught me a great deal that i should never have got at without his help he is a very clever fellow veronica let the matter drop but it was plain that she had not changed her opinion the days grew longer and brighter the wood was filled with sweeter perfumes evening after evening as the two friends sauntered along their homeward path and in each young heart the feeling grew and ripened that still sweeter and more beautiful days were to come one afternoon in may veronica paced leisurely along in the white hill road her eyes fixed on the tall oak on the borders of the wood which marked the place where the footpath came out upon the high road everything was quiet not a human being in sight she reached the spot and looked anxiously into the wood she listened she peered between the trees all was solitude the tree-tops softly murmuring rocked gently to and fro and through the branches she saw the sunset glow for the first time the young girl entered the wood alone it was quite dark in there she passed along with rapid step among the solemn pines hastening faster and faster as the trees seemed to draw together about her when she came out upon the open pathway she saw dietrich coming across the field in hot haste he was breathless when he reached her i don't like to have you come alone through the wood veronica he said i thought i should be in time but i could not get rid of those two fellows i tried to get away two or three times but they always had something more to say and kept me where were you dietrich they had some business with me that is jost had something to tell me and blasi was there too jost did not care to speak of it on the open street and so we went into the ribach and that is what made me so late why what's the matter veronica are you ill she was as pale as a ghost what you've been to the ribach dietrich she exclaimed in evident distress don't go there again please don't go to that place again oh now we are to have the old story over again are we said the young man laughing you have taken some foolish whim into your head you really don't know why yourself 
what's your prejudice against that house in particular i do know why and it is no whim said veronica earnestly i will tell you all about it that house has been a terror to me ever since i can remember anything we were both so young that you probably do not recollect it at all we both went with mother to the doctor's but you didn't go into the house i remember now mother told the doctor that my father was killed at the raybach i have never forgotten it since i am constantly seeing him lying dead before my eyes lying there struck down dead i often dream about it and in my dreams i am there and and sometimes when i look at his dead form in my dreams it is not my father any more but it is you you dietrich whom they have struck down dead at the rebac dietrich was going to laugh at these words but he glanced into veronica's face and was silent she was more in earnest than he had thought he tried to quiet and reassure her by saying that it was only a dream and nothing to be afraid of the dream came naturally enough because she was always dwelling upon the tragedy of her father's death and in dreams every one knows that faces are always changing his explanation however did not make much impression upon veronica she said no more about it but not all dietrich's efforts were sufficient to chase the shadows from her face that evening although he exerted himself to be even more assuming than usual gertrude observed her silence as they sat about the table and looked anxiously at her when they had separated for the night dietrich went into his mother's room to have a talk with her he told her what veronica had said and begged her to reason with the young girl and urge her to lay aside these groundless fears which had taken possession of her he represented to his mother that of course he sometimes had things to talk over with his companions and that there surely was no harm in their going to the Reebok together for their conversations and he begged her to make veronica see the whole affair in a reasonable light gertrude was shocked to find that the child had heard and understood what she had said to the doctor and distressed that she had taken it so much to heart she promised to speak to veronica but she also cautioned her son against forming an intimacy with jost and blussy dietrich cheerfully gave his word declaring that he was not particularly fond of their company the mother however on further consideration decided to say nothing on the subject to veronica for she thought the whole thing would be the sooner forgotten if not spoken of and she believed it unwise to stir up the terrors of the past the next afternoon dietrich left home much earlier than usual determined not to be belated again and hoping to escape altogether his two insistent companions but scarcely had he reached the garden gate when he came upon blassy who was lying in wait for him dietrich tried to pass him quickly and to show him that his company was not desired but in vain blassy had not been waiting round half an hour to be turned off like that he explained that he was in worse trouble than ever to-day and wished to borrow more money than ever before promising of course to pay it back very soon that is as soon as possible he added oh yes well when will it be possible i wonder how much have you paid me back as yet since you began to borrow of me said dietrich angrily let me go blassy i've no time to spare but blassy went along by his side and before he had done talking jos joined them and held dietrich fast by the other arm come come he cried i have something to tell you that will make you open your eyes i guess i came in a hurry on purpose not to miss you i've just come from the Reebok, and i told them to keep the little back room for us so that we can talk quietly without danger of being interrupted come along i say i will not said dietrich freeing his arm from the other's detaining grasp i haven't time and i don't believe you have anything special to tell me either i must go 
and dietrich strode away but jost followed him don't be such a fool he called out angrily can't you listen when i tell you that i know something decidedly to your advantage something that you'll be glad to know you're running away because of her and it is something that will be good for her as well as for you so do stand still and don't go scampering off as if the gamekeepers were after you but dietrich did not stop what do you know about her or her good he asked furiously mind your own business and let us alone as jost had his own interest in winning the young fellow over he controlled himself and said in most soothing tones dietrich i'm your friend some day you will be very grateful to me as you are in such a hurry i will not stop you now only promise me to come over by and by for a few minutes to the Reebok. there's a good fellow and you will not be sorry will you come well i've no particular objection to that said dietrich and ran off as fast as he could Blassy, who had kept pace with the other two, seeing that there was no chance for him now, turned back with Jost, and the two went into the Reebok together. Dietrich met Veronica quite the other side of the wood. He did his best to rouse her from her silent mood, and to restore her to better spirits. But he found it impossible to efface the impression she had received the evening before. The painful memory had been too deeply stamped upon her mind to be easily wiped out. When the little family had bade each other good-night, after their usual affectionate conversation, Dietrich hesitated about keeping his half-made promise. He did not want to go, yet Jost's words, that the affair touched her as nearly as it did him, had made their intended impression. And though it went sadly against his grain to know that Jost dared even to think about Veronica and her interests at all, still he could not help wondering what it was all about. Suddenly his resolution was taken. He turned about went downstairs and softly left the house jost was standing in the doorway of the Reebok, looking out into the night to see if dietrich was coming they went at once into the little back room blasi was there sitting beside a big empty bowl indeed he never sat long behind a full one for as the bowl was there to be emptied he thought the quicker it was done the better i'm glad you have come he cried out for we've run quite dry here Dietrich perceived that he was expected to counteract the dryness, so he ordered some beer, and when this was supplied, Jost began, in a cautious tone, "'I have something to say to you, Dietrich, that I don't care for those outside to hear. Blassie can stay, because he is our comrade.' "'And because he can be made useful,' said Dietrich, readily, for he knew of old that Jost was in the habit of rushing Blassie forward, where he did not dare to go himself. "'I don't know about that,' said Jost. "'But now listen to me.' do you know how a fellow who hasn't so much as a penny in his purse can in one night get enough to build a big stone house like the one the landlord of the lion has in forensi and make himself a gentleman all at once i know how i know somebody who has explained it all to me and i tell you dietrich you have only to say the word and you can do the same and give up the whole saddler's business you can afford to risk something you're not stupid and with you it will all go right in a twinkling do you mean by card-playing asked dietrich rather contemptuously for he had made up his mind about that long ago no indeed something very different it is done on paper you have nothing to do but put some money down and you can win two or three times as much in no time and lose four times i suppose there's no losing about it said jost confidently you are sure to win in the end if you keep on long enough it doesn't signify if you do lose a little at first you can afford to wait I think my trade is sure of winning, said Dietrich. 
oh yes sure enough said jost scornfully it is a pretty sight to see a fellow like you sitting there year after year on the saddler's bench scraping all the skin off his hands and with all the income you have too why in ten years you won't have as much as will build you a house such as you want and it would take ten years more to become a gentleman and she'd like it a great deal better to have something nice now and not wait till she is fifty years old dietrich was red with anger what business is it of yours to be forever thinking and talking about her he blazed out you have no concern with her whatever just keep yourself to what you're fit for why do you go on as you do asked jost with a knowing wink do you suppose it never enters anybody's head to ask why you keep on working and delving as if you liked it can't we guess who you're doing it all for and it's not at all out of the way to be thinking about her either interposed blassie there's another ready enough to do that if there were any chance for him and he winked significantly at jost jost took no notice of the insinuation but went on addressing himself to dietrich there's no danger for you in this plan we will share losses and gains alike and if we do not like it we can leave off whenever we choose but i don't see why we shouldn't like it when we can earn so much with so little trouble and without working from morning till night there goes somebody now who has all he wants i should like to be in his place a wagon was rattling by as he spoke and its occupant was urging the galloping horse faster and faster along the road that's the doctor said dietrich looking out he has had to work hard enough and is still at it he must be going to visit a very sick patient he would not be driving at that rate for anything else it is late for the old gentleman to be out work said jost well i speak for that kind of work sitting in a chaise behind a horse it's another part of speech to have to work with one's hands as we do the doctor has to work with his hands too i'm sure of that and besides we have our evenings to ourselves while he may be kept at it till eleven o'clock at night as he is this evening and later oh drop all this stupid talk and give us an answer yes or no will you be a fool and go on pricking your fingers over your work or will you join me and have things comfortable without working at all anybody but you would be grateful to me for the chance i offer you i came to you with it because of our old friendship i know plenty of fellows who would jump at the chance you can think it over till tomorrow and then i'm sure you'll be glad to accept i'll meet you here tomorrow evening and bring someone with me who will explain it all clearly dietrich agreed to think about it till tomorrow and now in high good humor and increasing confidence in the coming good fortune he helped blassie and joss to empty the bowl in a toast to the success of their new projects it was veronica's habit to work on her embroidery for some time after going up to her bedroom and this evening she was so much interested in her work that she did not observe the flight of time until she heard the clock strike one she put by her sewing and hastened to prepare for bed as she must be up and stirring again by five o'clock presently she heard the outer door open softly and then closed from the inside she blew out her light and gently opened her bedroom door the moon lighted up the passageway with a faint beam someone came stealing up the staircase with noiseless steps she saw that it was dietrich he went cautiously into his room and closed the door veronica shut her door and sat down upon her bed all the blood seemed to rush to her heart and she could not stir she knew in a moment that dietrich whom she had believed to be asleep long ago and had been visiting in secret the hated Raybach. she sat some minutes motionless on her bed in a kind of dull pain then she arose slowly lighted her lamp again took out her work and with nervous fingers drove on her needle which flew faster and faster through the white cloth 
she did not sleep at all that night nor did dietrich fall asleep easily his thoughts were busy and he could not come to any decision what should he do if he could become rich at once without working any more why shouldn't he do it would it be best to consult his mother no that would upset everything he was sure that his mother was too firmly wedded to the old ideas about ways of getting a living to listen to any new-fangled methods of making money without work and veronica certainly not veronica who valued work above everything and who indeed loved it so well that she could not imagine that any one would ever wish to escape it but if he were successful both his mother and veronica would profit by his good fortune as much as himself why couldn't he go on with his own plans in his own way why need he ask leave of veronica before he slept dietrich had decided to meet jost the next evening and close with his offer when gertrude came downstairs early in the morning she found the breakfast ready and veronica dressed to go out wait just a moment said the mother dietrich will be down directly i hear him coming i must be off replied veronica she went towards the door but turned before going out her cheeks were flaming mother she said and her voice trembled in god's name forbid him to go to that dreadful place he did not come home till one o'clock last night and she vanished gertrude gazed after her in surprise when dietrich came down he asked in his usual bright fashion after veronica and when his mother with some anxiety told him what the girl had said he made his explanation with such a frank unembarrassed manner that her fears were quieted for it was plain that he had nothing upon his conscience he said that he knew his mother would approve of his helping a friend in need and not the less if in doing so he should also help himself it was a scheme of this kind that he had been talking over the night before jost had to work very hard to make both ends meet and dietrich thought that if by putting some money into his scheme he could help his old acquaintance to more profit with less labor and at the same time gain by it himself his mother would be the last to blame him gertrude was a soft-hearted woman she answered her son that if there was nothing wrong about this business it was certainly a good thing to help jost who had received nothing from his father not even tools for his trade and who had seemed to have everything against him with you it was very different my boy she said in conclusion your father left you an excellent business and if you continue to work as you have done you will be very well off in a few years how kindly the good god has dealt with us my son we may hope for many happy days together he agreed with her cordiality but he thought it as well not to unfold his plans to her any farther he said to himself that he was not going to do anything wrong certainly not but his mother's ideas were a little old-fashioned and she wouldn't understand his schemes he would surprise her with his success End of chapter 5 Chapter 6 of Veronica by Johannes Byrie Translated by Louise Brooks This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6 Lame Sabina Gives Good Advice Veronica's teacher Sabina had been a hunchback from her birth and had become lame when still young she had used crutches since she was twenty years old like many persons who suffer under physical disabilities she had clever penetrating eyes and on this day she often raised them from the work which she was pursuing with indefatigable industry to glance at her pupil who sat opposite 
veronica was at work on the same piece which she had had at home on the previous night that night which she had passed in such sad forebodings after many inquiring glances sabina at last said thoughtfully i'm puzzled about you veronica that piece of work you are upon is wonderfully well done every stitch is perfectly even the cloth and the silk are as white as snow yet you must have done most of it at night for yesterday afternoon you were not nearly so far along whatever you put your hand to succeeds yet your eyebrows grow more and more scowling every day and your eyes blaze out as if there were a thunderstorm about what ails you child you are the handsomest girl in all the country round when you have a pleasant expression and you are as tall and straight as a young fir-tree don't you know that what good does it do me asked veronica and scowled worse than ever what good if you did not have it you would know what it is worth replied sabina quickly i can tell you that now smooth your forehead veronica and listen to me i will tell you something that will make you feel better and happier an industrial school has been established in Florence, and it is proposed to connect with it a workroom for women they want a teacher and superintendent and have offered me the place but i am not strong enough for it i have told them that you are fully equal to me in skill and knowledge of the work and a hundred times my superior in freshness and strength and executive ability there is no doubt that the place is at your disposal you can lead the life of a lady veronica your fortune is made for the first time since sabina began to speak veronica raised her eyes from her work she shook her head sadly and said not my fortune not my fortune repeated sabina angrily when i tell you this place is yours your fortune is made i cannot grasp the fortune that is offered me said the girl and bent over her work again sabina's searching glance seemed to try to penetrate her inmost thought what sort of an expression is that you are using veronica where did you learn that i never expected to hear such words from your lips it is not like you what put that into your head child i will tell you something of my experience and then you will understand why i use this expression said veronica quietly when i was only a little girl i learned a motto which ran thus fortune stands ready full in sight he wins who knows to grasp it right i saw that fortune was something good to have and i wanted to find out how it could be grasped i asked cousin judith and she told me it must be grasped like everything else with our hands that is to say through work from that time forward i was eager for work as other children are for play and the older i grow the more i strive for the good fortune that can be grasped by work even on sundays i often go to my room to sew and i shut my door for my mother does not like to see me sew then i work on and on just as long as i can sit at it even into the night sometimes till one and two o'clock in the morning yet i do not find the fortune i want when my hands are busy my thoughts wander where they will and i must follow them but they do not lead to fortune but only farther away from it this offer may bring me a fortune in money and position but that is not the fortune i want fortune for me means happiness sabina had not lost a word of this sad story yes yes i understand you veronica she said sympathizingly i know something of this too judith told you the truth 
but only one half the truth fortune is grasped by the hands it is true but the fortune which you long for that is happiness is to be gained in other ways besides i will tell you an instructive little story and if you will take the trouble to grasp it not with your hands but with your thoughts and understanding you will be able to work it out for yourself and get some profit from it it is part of the story of my own life i have had so much the same experience as yours that i cannot help hoping that what i found good for myself may prove good for you when i was about your age veronica i was so unhappy that i cried myself to sleep every night can you guess why no for one understands only the sufferings that he has himself experienced and cannot imagine those of others well it was because i was a hunchback i remember as if it were yesterday when i first came to a perception of my misfortune when i first learned that i was different from other children and must remain as one apart all my life we were all coming out of school one day and a little quarrel arose between us children and one of them said to me in a scornful tone hold your tongue sabina you're only a hunchback from that day i never knew a happy moment and i grew timid and avoided everyone if i saw anyone looking at me i thought he was scoffing at me because i was a hunchback i kept away from other children for if one of them laughed i fancied she was laughing at my deformed shoulders if any stranger was kind to me i thought that it was because my hunch had not yet been seen and that as soon as it was kindness would be changed for contempt i looked at the figure of every one i met all were straight except myself i felt that i was the most miserable creature in the world and i saw no hope of ever being otherwise all my life long once one of the school children died and all her schoolmates walked in the funeral procession to the church i would not walk with them but hid myself among the grown people for every one was looking at the children and i wanted to escape observation i heard one woman say to another it is lucky the child's mother has so much to do she will have no time to think about her sorrow and she will get over it the sooner then it came to me like a ray of hope that if i had work to do i might forget my sorrow too i must have work that very day i begged my mother to let me learn to work she was pleased and sent me to take lessons in sewing and i followed it up till i could do all sorts of fine work and had as much employment as i could wish i often heard people say how finely sabina is getting on but how do you think it was with my spirits just as it is with yours now veronica oh yes you needn't look at me so with your great eyes i know exactly what you are thinking you think that my trouble never can have been equal to yours people always think that their own sorrows are the worst i sat and sewed just as you do early and late my work was perfect i had no rival i knew that it was good and i rejoiced over it in a half-hearted way but what good did it do me after all the thought that i was a hunchback was always in my mind it was like a stream of troubled water flowing through my heart it spoiled everything always deformed never like other girls i never forgot it for a moment so it went on till i was about twenty years old and then came on the trouble in my foot and i was confined to my bed for many months oh how bitterly i suffered was every misfortune to fall on me alone i thought how could i foresee that this very trouble would turn out to be good fortune for me 
the doctor came to see me constantly he took as much interest in my case as if i could have paid him handsomely he noticed that i was industrious that i did not lie idle even when i was in great pain it pleased him to find me always with work in my hand when at last the acute attack was over and the doctor told me that this would be his last visit he told me also that i was lame for life at first i could not walk at all but by and by i learned to use my crutches when i offered the doctor the money that was due him for his attendance he said we would not speak of that that we both had to work but with this difference that he was sound and whole while i was not he took my hand kindly saying that it was hard for me not to be able to take any amusement after working hard all the week not to go out with the others on sunday and that if i cared for reading his wife had a great many nice books which she would be glad to lend me and they would make the sundays less tedious i did not really care for reading i preferred sewing as you do but i accepted the doctor's offer and went to his house his wife was very kind and gave me a book at once bidding me come as soon as i had finished it and get another i began to read the very next sunday and i became so deeply interested that i scarcely laid the book down all day and even during the week i took it up as often as i could find a spare moment it was an account of foreign countries and nations how they lived and their manners and customs i was particularly interested to read about how the women were treated in different places how in some countries they are sold and bartered for cattle or wool or cloth and how they belong to their husbands just as if they were furniture and their husbands can treat them just as they please as we do cats or dogs and in some places it's said a wife has to be burned when her husband dies because she is only a part of him and has no value of her own after his death oh how many strange things there are in the world to be sure i became hungry and thirsty for knowledge the doctor's wife lent me one book after another and in each there was something new and wonderful i learned how terrible the condition of women had been everywhere until our own lord jesus christ came into the world and taught that one soul was as much worth as another all equal man and woman lord and servant that every individual must be free one as well as another and that two people should be joined together only by love and not as a matter of ownership but even nowadays there are still countries and islands where men make nothing of killing and eating each other and the women are bought and sold like goods it is only where the influence of christianity has penetrated that there is true equality of womanhood you can imagine the flood of new ideas that crowded in upon me as i read and i assure you that i was able to forget sometimes for many days that i was a hunchback and when i did remember it the thought had lost its sting i dwelt upon the many privations and sufferings of others till they seemed to outweigh my own trouble so that it dwindled in my estimation and gradually i began to see the good side of my lot how independently i could live supporting myself what a wealth of interest was open to me through my reading and in fact how fortunate i was and blessed beyond many another yes veronica i can assure you that i am now a happy woman with a heart filled with gratitude to the good god for the blessings he has sent me and so i say to you my child from the fullness of my own experience that you have no right to go about looking like a thunder-cloud you with all the freshness and beauty of your young life tell me do you owe our lord god something or is he in debt to you have you nothing to thank him for others can see how much you have to look forward to 
Get yourself together, girl, and try to give your thoughts another direction. I should be only too glad to do so, said Veronica, who had listened intently to every word that Sabina had said. Have you any such book as you describe that you can lend me to read? Sabina was well pleased at this request. She had a book close at hand, which she had just finished reading, and from which she expected great things for the young girl. Veronica was moved by Sabina's glowing words, to believe that her future might be happier, and that the clouds of despondency which had overshadowed her were about to be dispersed. She lost no time, for she was in earnest. She opened the book that very evening and began to read, but her sanguine expectations were not fulfilled. She read the words, she understood their meaning, but it was as if she had heard them at a distance and through them all, louder than all else, sounded something in her ears and in her heart that drowned them. It was the flow of the troubled waters, as Sabina had said. The waves rose higher, their noise increased, until Veronica lost all hearing and understanding of what she was reading. Still she persevered. Perhaps by and by it would come right. Alas! Was not that the house-door opening and shutting again so softly late in the night? She flung the book aside, walked rapidly back and forth in her chamber for a while, then unfolded her sewing, and worked steadily on and on, until the morning broke, and a new day called her to its duties. End of chapter 6「Chapter Seven of Veronica by Johanna Spirey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven A Thunderclap. Blasi, the lounger, stood in his doorway in the clear sunshine of this lovely summer morning, both hands plunged deep into his pockets, as was his wont, and looked about him as if to see whether everything in the outer world was the same as yesterday. Judith came out to the well, carrying her water-jug on her head. "'Look out, Blasi, you are losing something,' she cried. Blasi looked on the ground, turned about, and searched behind and before. "'I don't see anything,' he said, and stuffed his hands deeper into his pockets. "'It's always so with me,' said Judith. "'When I've lost anything, I can't see it.' "'Oh, you're making a fool of me again!' "'That's all the thanks I get for telling you that you are losing something.' and i was just going to make you a present that is worth more than five francs to a fellow like you what is it show it to me said blasi with more animation first i will tell you something and then you shall have it replied judith look here blasi my sainted father used to say if you keep your hands out of your pockets they will get full but if you keep them in your pockets will be empty now both your hands are in your pockets so all that ought to go on is running to waste isn't that so well suppose it is said blasi angrily now give me what you promised me i gave it to you this very minute i said you'd better take your hands out of your pockets and then your earnings would run in that's good advice and worth more than five francs what stuff no one ever knows how to take you grumbled blasi it wouldn't help you to take me if you did not take your hands out too said judith but never mind i have really something good for you and Judith motioned to him to come nearer. Would you like to have a nice well-washed shirt for Sunday? I will do one up for you if you will tell me something. That was an offer worth listening to. Sunday was a wretched day for Blossie, for when he had turned his two shirts and worn them both on both sides, 
he had never a clean one for sunday he had no one to wash for him his mother was dead and his father had enough else to spend for without the washing for a grown-up son blasi's money went for other things than washing and he was not fond of doing it for himself the proposition was therefore very apropos come a little nearer to the well no one knows who may be behind those trees now listen can you tell me what is going wrong with dietrich he never whistles now he never laughs and his mother looks so sad and she rarely speaks even to answer when spoken to something has happened to dietrich yes and keeps on happening all sorts of things too but jost can tell you more than i can they sit together in the raybock half the night and more too long after everybody else has gone there they sit in the little back room at first they do just as other people do they drink a little and then a little more and dietrich pays but that's nothing to what it costs him afterwards they do something with paper he and jost sometimes it is a lottery and then again something that they call speculating i don't understand anything about it somebody comes over from forensi and explains it to them he does not belong there but i guess you have seen him he has fiery red hair and red beard and red face he has business in forensi once a week and lives the rest of the time down in the city and he arranges everything down there and then brings the account of gains and losses up to them but it's a good deal more loss than gain dietrich puts in more money every time jost has nothing to put in but promises he tells dietrich all the time that presently the winnings will begin to flow in and says that at first a fellow must expect to lose so as to win all the more in the end and that by and by it will all come back with interest of course the red-haired man says yes to it all whenever i want to put something in and ask dietrich to lend me a little to try with jost acts as if he were the lord and master of the whole concern and donkey is the mildest name he calls me i am just waiting though till i can trip him up and i'll do it with a vengeance too so that he won't forget it all his life long now that is a good idea said judith you'd better tell him then that you do it to pay your debts and that would be well for him to follow your example now you have told me enough bring me your shirt on saturday and i'll wash it for you judith lifted her water-jug and was turning away but blossie detained her just wait a moment i want to ask you a question do you think she will have him the question seemed to interest judith for she stood stock still who whom what do you mean i mean veronica and jost do you think she will take him as blasi spoke he came slowly nearer to judith he has been saying some things lately that made me think so if you know anything more stupid than that i should like to hear it cried judith very angry indeed but did not move away for she wanted to hear all that blasi had to say i know what you mean he went on but i am not so very stupid as you think it certainly means something when she is so changed jost says that she knows all that dietrich has been about and she is hot with anger against him because he has not told her about it himself jost says that if he only mentions dietrich's name before her she looks like a wild cat in a moment and he says too that he has noticed for some time that she has no objection to letting dietrich see that she can get along very well without his help and you know that she is capable of anything when she's angry well this is the one drop wanting said judith and shouldering her jug she went off snorting with anger in such a rage that blasi stood looking after her in stupid amazement and muttered i wonder if she wants to get him too judith walked along talking aloud to herself yes she is she is 
she is capable of anything when she is angry now judith had looked upon her neighbor's boy from his childhood up as if he belonged to her he was her prime favorite and she meant to do well by him she liked veronica because she was such a steady girl at her needle and because she would have nothing to say to any one but dietrich this very reserve however was rather distasteful to judith as regarded herself but she liked it towards others she had planned it all out that dietrich should marry veronica soon after the confirmation that they should set up a pretty little establishment and be her beloved neighbors she meant to be their intimate friend and helper to go freely in and out of their house and to stand godmother now and then she would leave her property to the little ones now all this fine air castle was overthrown and all her plans spoiled judith bounced violently into the kitchen and set her jug down with such a bang that the water spurted up into the air and no one can get a word out of her either it is exactly as if all the oil had been burned out this last remark referred to gertrude who had greatly altered during the last few months she had no longer the cheerful expression that she had always been noted for she had grown very quiet and silent she even avoided her old and well-tried friend judith and if the latter showed a disposition to talk about her household matters or her children's future gertrude would give her to understand that she had no time to stop to talk gertrude knew where dietrich spent his evenings she had expostulated with him about it more than once he had answered that he must keep on there for a while till a certain undertaking which he had started with jost was fairly under way he assured her that this affair was certain to turn out all right and that she herself would be surprised and satisfied at the result he knew from some one who understood it that it could not fail he had to draw a large sum several times for himself and also for jost but he was sanguine that in a short time it would all be paid back with interest gertrude did not pretend to understand the business but she saw that dietrich believed it to be safe and profitable and she knew that her son would not deceive her still she was haunted daily by a growing uneasiness which was not diminished when she perceived that veronica was gradually drawing away from her this state of things had all come about since that morning when the girl's beseeching words had fallen unheeded on the mother's ears or at least veronica believed them to have been unheeded since they had worked no change in dietrich's behavior why was it that every day as evening came on she felt so miserably anxious gertrude herself could scarcely understand poor gertrude one night after she had gone to her room she heard her son leave the house with hasty steps it had become a regular thing now she had often said to herself ah how much longer will this go on but she tried hard to believe that it would soon come to an end and her son would resume his former orderly and happy mode of life but this evening she was so anxious that she could not stay in her bedroom she went down into the garden the moon peeped out from between the flying clouds and shone peacefully down upon the trees and the neat flower beds gertrude seated herself upon a small bench under the apple tree and gazed about the garden all illuminated by the moonbeams she had planted it all and cared for it with her own hands she had done this as she did everything carefully and with great painstaking and it was all for her son's sake his should be the pleasure and the profit of all why could he not be happy in it now why was she so worried about him dietrich was walking in steep and dangerous paths that she was sure of but he knew the straight road and would not his steps turn back to it again her thoughts went back to the days when her little dieterly loved good and orderly conduct 
It could not be that he had lost his love for it, that he did not feel that in the right conduct of life lies inward and outward blessing. She recalled the evening of the day when her husband was borne from the house to his burial. She had taken the children by the hand, and, stupefied with pain, was about to put them to bed, but Dieterly objected, saying, "'No, mother, no, it is not good to go to bed before you say your prayers.' Did her boy ever pray now? "'Oh, Dieterly, my son, you are wandering away, but you know the way home.' she said to herself, and she folded her hands in prayer, for her habit was to lay all her troubles before God, her supporter and comforter. At this moment she heard through the stillness loud shouts and cries, first at a distance, then nearer and nearer, until they grew into a wild tumult. Then many of the voices seemed to scatter in different directions, while some sounded as if approaching the garden. A vague fear seized Gertrude, Three fellows shouting and calling passed on the other side of the hedge. She recognized one of the voices. "'Jost!' she cried feebly. "'Jost, what is it? Where is Dietrich?' There was no answer. Jost did not, or would not, hear. He ran faster than before, and the second fellow ran too. The last one paused a little. It was Blasi. He said hastily, "'He isn't coming yet a while. You can go to bed,' and was making off. "'Oh, do tell me what has happened,' said Gertrude, white with terror. "'Don't leave me so, but tell me, Blassie, why Dietrich hasn't come home with the rest of you.' Blassie had too much respect for Dietrich's mother to run away from her when she put a direct question to him, although he would fain have escaped. He came closer to the hedge and replied, "'There has been a row at the Raybach. Two men were killed. Someone stole the cattle dealer's money-bag. "'Is Dietrich killed? Speak out!' broke in Gertrude, trembling. No, he stuck about him bravely, till one of the fellows got enough of it, and lay dead on the ground, and then he made off. With this, Blossie ran on. Gertrude mounted wearily to her room as if her last day was come. She sat down upon her bed, and when the morning light filled the room, still she sat there listening in trembling anxiety, as she had listened through all the long night in vain. Dietrich had not come home in the night. He did not come home in the morning. End of chapter 7「Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.